we're talking with Cassandra Quave this morning, the author of The Plant Hunter. Uh, and I have to tell you, uh, Cassandra, th the way you get into your book is great because, <laughs> you know, we all look at a lot of books and, and uh, review them and, and get people to, to, you know, find out about them. And right away in your book, The Plant Hunter, we find out that you're heading into the swamps of Florida. You got your boots on. We find out that you've, you've had all kinds of issues with, with your leg as a child, you know. And then we find out, well, we're not just looking around here for, well, I think you mentioned alligators at one point, but not, we're not just <laughs> sightseeing, but we're here for, fun, for finding plants with medicinal value because there's a huge issue and you relate to it right away. This is antibiotic resistance. I think we've all heard about this for some time now, but you're pointing out in your book, uh, this is no joke. This, this could make COVID look like a, a walk in the park. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some scientists are calling it the silent pandemic because it's kind of lurking in the background. Um, we have around 700,000 people a year that die globally due to untreatable infections that are due to antimicrobial resistance. And, you know, it's projected to reach 10 million a year by 2050. And if you put that in perspective with COVID, I mean, in COVID, we had the horrific loss of 2 million people across the globe in the first year, but we're looking at five times that projected due to antimicrobial resistance. And, and, you know, the, the, your book points out that uh, Alexander Fleming, uh, who's often credited with, with developing penicillin, uh, the, the miracle drug that has changed and saved so many lives, uh, and you point that out, he was warning about resistance from the beginning. That, Absolutely. That this, this could mm -hmm. be an issue, and, and uh, it's come to pass, or at least it's on its way. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that was most concerning to him um, based on his writings was, you know, penicillin was available to the public when it first came out. It was just kind of being used indiscriminately. Um, people were taking it for the wrong reasons, for viral infections. They would take it just long enough to feel a little bit better and then stop. And of course, we know now today that does set up the perfect kind of storm for the emergence of resistant um, resistance in, in different pathogens. Well, now the plant hunter uh, you, you, you're, uh, got a class. Uh, tell us a little bit. You're uh, a teacher, a professor, uh, yeah. an, eth an ethnobotanist. What's an <laughs> ethnobotanist? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, I'm an associate professor of dermatology and human health and at Emory university split between the medical school and the college. So I both lead research and also teach in the classroom and I curate the Emory herbarium. So my background is as a medical ethnobotanist and ethnobotany is the study of how people use plants and how they relate to plants. And in my case, it's really about how people use plants for medicine. Um, one of the goals of the book was really to you know, reintroduce everyone to the history of our medicines. There are many therapies that I'm sure many of your listeners have used at some point in their life that originally were discovered in plants. They may be produced in a factory setting today, but the chemical blueprints for everything from medicine for pain, if you think about aspirin or, you know, different um, opiates, if you think about uh, medicines for cancer, for malaria, um, all sorts of different therapies for, for heart disease, you know, these, these originated in plants and there's just so much out there still for us to explore over 33,000 species are used by people in traditional medicine and scientists have really only looked in depth at maybe a few hundred of those. So lots of room to, uh, to, to do some really interesting science.
And in the course of that pursuit, uh, in, in search, the, the hunting for plants, we're talking with Cassandra Quav, the author of The Plant Hunter, uh, where plant-based medicines are, are the, what's, what's kind of the, the goal here. Uh, Native Americans, and I'm sure uh, indigenous people around the world, uh, have long known and long used things. You, you refer to many of them. Uh, that, that's a history right there, isn't it? I mean, just, just finding out what, what used to be done. Yeah. And, and has been discarded in, in many ways. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there, there's so many amazing practices and just bodies of knowledge, what we call traditional knowledge, this knowledge of that's passed down through often through oral tradition from generation to generation. And a lot of that knowledge is also at risk, you know, because of language loss, we're facing both a loss in biodiversity or the diversity of life across the planet because of climate change and human expansion into different ecosystems. Um, But we're also losing kind of the language and those unique bodies of indigenous knowledge as more and more um, groups become more mainstream. And, you know, the, uh, the area that you were, you were searching in, in Florida, uh, tough terrain, uh, you find something, how do you, you know, is, is it a lifelong thing about learning about all these different plants? You mentioned what 33,000 out of what a third of a million types of plants that grow freely around the world. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you learn all this? How do you, how do you have that all in your head that, you know, all these things you see that little white thing over there. Oh, that's such and such, Uh, you know, we, we marvel at that. Those of us that, that are clueless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely can't identify every plant (laughs) when I'm on a hike, but I'm constantly learning. Right. And, you know, some of the most fun people I think to, to go out into nature with are botanists because I'm constantly learning from my peers and from other students, naturalists, from mycologists, botanists, um, just through experience and, and learning to recognize these. Of course, if you get formal training in botany, you'll learn how to what we call key out species. So basically we have these very detailed guidebooks and we look at the shapes of the leaves and the, the different parts of the flowers or the, or the you know reproductive parts of the fruits and are able to kind of sort out um, and identify species that way. Um, but it's, it's a constant journey in, in learning for sure. For people who are, you know, read your book and, uh, you know, are fascinated by, by your story, which is, is a great, uh, great story in itself, your, your own autobiography, uh, because you had to overcome a lot. Uh, you, you, you know, you, when you talk about uh, dealing with medicine, well, you were the recipient of medicine. Absolutely. I mean, I, from the day I was born, I was basically just immersed in medicine. I was born with multiple congenital defects in my skeletal system, which, you know, included number of missing bones. So I just was born without certain bones in my leg. Um, my bones I did have were very short and, you know, I, I faced a lot of problems growing up as I developed, you know, I developed hip dysplasia. I got such severe scoliosis as a teenager that it was starting to crush my internal organs. So, you know, I jokingly say, you know, I'm the million dollar woman because I've had so much work done on my skeletal system just to make it possible for me to be able to walk and get out in nature. And I'm, I'm so very thankful for the fact that I was born in a country where I had access to modern medicine and modern surgical techniques and in the era I was born in, because had I been born somewhere else or in a different era, I don't know that my life would have turned out the way that it has. And here you are uh, writing a book, uh, teaching people, uh, searching for a, a very important 
uh, goal here to, to keep keep people uh, safe and healthy and, and by, by sort of pursuing nature, which uh, uh, I guess we're always pursuing nature. But uh, this in this case, uh, it's right under our nose, but we're not aware of it. I, I think most of us, uh, you, you folks are that, that are uh, learned. But um, what, what do you tell somebody who was, might, might read the book and say, well, how do I get to know a little bit more about what's around me instead of walking through the park and just looking at, you know, the leaves or something? I mean, yeah. what, is, there, is there, a you know, you got a few tips for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's great to start local, even if it's looking out of your window at home or going into your backyard, you know, we're surrounded by useful plants, whether they're, you know, trees that are great for timber or for canoe building, or some of those plants that you're stepping on in your backyard that you might consider to be weeds, thinking of things like, you know, dandelion, which is an amazing food, um, or, you know, plantago, which is a great um, topical medicine for insect stings and burns. Um, there are a lot of things that we encounter on a daily basis, but just don't quite recognize. So where can you go to learn more about these things? Well, first, if you have, um, if you live in the vicinity of a state park or a national park, those places are usually stocked with um, some great local flora books that in many of these common color guides. So, you know, it's separated by the pink flowers, the white flowers, the blue flowers. That's a great place to start um, to, to look at plants. And also uh, in every state, we have agricultural um, extension services, and their job is to really serve the public and helping um, with, you know, local gardening and, and kind of teaching people about the plants around them. So you can also make use of those um, as resources as well. And lastly, of course, you know, botanical gardens are such a great resource, both for education and just, you know, giving yourself that opportunity to really immerse yourself in it around beauty, beautiful plants. Uh, we're talking with Cassandra Quav, the author of The Plant Hunter, and the the search for plant-based medicines uh, that you describe and, and are undertaking uh, on a regular basis. Uh, is, are there certain plants or certain things that you're looking for that, uh, you know, come to, you know, come to your mind? Or is it, is it just a case of, well, let's see what's out there and, and uh, take the best that we can? Yeah, I mean, it, we're taking a very targeted approach to drug discovery. So the types of plants that I'm most interested in are ones that have a history of use or even current day uses in treating infectious and inflammatory diseases. Because the target that I'm going after in my laboratory is antimicrobial resistant microbes. So we're looking at, you know, the search for compounds to treat superbugs like MRSA or some of these emerging fungal pathogens that have, you know, mortality rates up, you know, around 60%, especially for immune compromised patients. So we're looking for plants that people are, are already using that have been used for hundreds of years, in some cases, even longer um, to treat these types of infectious inflammatory diseases, because this is an important clue. You know, we have over 374,000 species of plants on earth, and it would be impossible to test all of those, um, especially in the scope of, of one lab. So we're really trying to narrow down the scope and look at those plants that have already been used in traditional medicine for infections. And, you know, it's, it's really leading us to ask different types of questions since the time of Alexander Fleming and antibiotics, we've always kind of thought about, treating infectious disease by just killing the bacteria or killing the fungus. And 
what I've learned through our, you know, experiments and through our research on traditional medicines is that maybe killing isn't always the answer. In fact, we've had a number of discoveries where we've found compounds from plants used to treat infectious disease that don't kill the bacteria, but instead weaken them. They take away their ability to defend themselves or their ability to cause harm to the body. And um, I just think there's so many more lessons like that from traditional medicine that are out there for us to learn and to explore it. And hopefully someday these will lead to, you know, transformational therapies that can get into the clinic and, and out to the public. We're talking with Cassandra Qua, the author of The Plant Hunter. Do you, do you marvel, I know I do, at, at these uh, discoveries that, that uh, Native Americans made, they use such and such to treat snake bites or, or whatever. And I'm thinking, how did they ever come up with that? You know, I mean, it, it's just, I mean, I guess trial and error, but still, uh, you know, as you said, there's all these plants. How do you figure out that this, uh, do, do you ever get into that or how, how do some of these discoveries, are they made? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's important to realize that science doesn't just happen in a laboratory and science doesn't just have to happen with someone that has a PhD. I mean, humans, since the time that, that we've walked this planet, have been experimenting with resources from nature. And also, we've been observing how other creatures use resources from nature as well. Um, there are plentiful examples of how animals, so everything from primates to mammals to even insects, use plants as medicine to either protect their offspring from parasites or to treat themselves. Um, and so... You know, when you're, when you're living within nature, when you're embedded in nature and you're surrounded by these things and you're observing those actions, I think that's where a lot of those initial kind of experiments that humans, you know, played around with, um, came into be was, was through observing nature and, and then replicating that. And again, through trial and error, I like to liken it this way, you know, traditional knowledge is a dynamic process. If, if the listeners can think of perhaps their grandma's favorite apple pie, right. That maybe she learned from her mother who learned from her mother, that apple pie recipe isn't passed down from generation to generation. If it tastes disgusting, right. <laughs> it's only, it's only passed down if it, if it tastes really great. And maybe, Maybe at one point, you know, grandma or your mom or even you decide to add a little pinch of something different. Maybe you add a little cinnamon that wasn't in the recipe before, or maybe another person cooks it a little bit longer or makes the dough a little bit thicker. And so traditional knowledge of medicinal plants works in much the same ways. They take those things that work, that have shown some utility, they're passed down. Sometimes they're slightly modified because it's an evolving, you know, living body of knowledge, but the core knowledge is still there. And, um, yeah, that's, I think really the, the easiest way to explain it. Well, you, you explained it very well, Cassandra Quav, the author of the plant hunter, uh, you, you're just a fascinating book. As I said, if you pick this book up and you start it, boom, you're in it. Uh, do you have any other, one last thing, do you have any other expeditions planned, uh, you know, in the near future? Are you off to a swamp or uh, climbing a mountain or what's on your to-do list here? Yeah, there may be some mountains in my near future. Um, I'm teaching this fall and then the spring I'll have off. So I'm going to probably um, head back over to the Balkans to do some work. We have a, a, a project currently funded with our partners there. Um, and so I'm, I'm getting looking forward to getting back into the mountains. Well, very good. Cassandra Quav, author of The Plant Hunter. Thank you for your time today. And good luck to you, and uh, we'll keep reading. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Bye-bye.